Hello, everyone. Welcome to Strange Sound. I'm Joe. Glad to have you with us. This is episode, gosh, what is this? Episode number 60? Episode number 59. I'm leaving myself options for editing out later. It doesn't matter. Who's counting? I'm not. Are you? I don't think so. You're probably here because you want to hear me talk, not count. I can count in French, but uh, I won't because that would be silly. So here we are, another week, another wonderful week in the place that is called America. And I am here with you, and I hope all is well with you. Um, I hope that you're going against the current of things not going so well, that things are going well for you, even though things are not going well for most people. And uh, it's been a rough week. There's no question about it. Um, Not only news of old shootings, when I say old, you know, within the stretch of weeks that preceded this week, and uh, fresh shootings like the one in Indianapolis, um, another hideous massacre done by somebody who was red flagged and had a gun taken away but got another gun. Just like the guy who lived a block from me, same thing, got another gun after his gun was taken away by the police, which is which just demonstrates the limitations of red flag laws in the absence of more meaningful gun control. And we're going to keep going through this time and time again. Uh, I've said it before. I think I talked about it at length a couple weeks ago. So let me uh, not digress too far on that topic. Suffice to say that it's been a really upsetting week in those respects, and I understand that. I know that people, anyone who's probably listening to this podcast is probably at least as upset as I am, if not more. And uh, yeah, we got to do something about this. Folks, please push your legislators to do something. In any case, I won't go on about that, as I said. Uh, Standard disclaimer... A strange sound reflects the views of no one other than myself. The views expressed on strange sound are my own. They are not those of my friends, my neighbors, my family, my co-workers, my employer, my um, neighbors, my friends, my family. <laughs> I'm getting recursive. They're no one else's opinions but mine. Uh, some of the ideas are ideas that I've picked up elsewhere um, when I know the attribution for them, I will attribute them. If not, I'm just, you know, repeating things and I may make note of the fact that I am repeating someone else's idea. Um, but a lot of it is just, you know, just me bloviating. So there's going to be some of my ideas in there, some not, and mostly opinions. Okay. So you come here to hear my opinion. Hey, I'm more than happy to give it to you. And I'm more than happy to hear what you think as well. So uh, I will leave the contact information to the end of the show, as is my custom. As is also my custom of late, I will read my latest blog post and then perhaps comment on it as well. Um, This week's blog post, actually dated April 16th, is out now. Or I should say, out now. (laughs) That's the title. Um, Out now? 
Um, and it's you can find it at big-green.net under political rants. This is my furious rant for the week. And here goes nothing. This week, as you likely know, President Biden announced the planned withdrawal of U.S. combat troops from Afghanistan, with the last ones leaving sometime before September 11th, 2021. Mind you, that is not the anniversary of our invasion of Afghanistan, but rather the 20th anniversary of the attacks that we used as a justification to invade Afghanistan, not to mention the 48th anniversary of the overthrow of Salvador Allende, president of Chile, and the installment of the dictator Augusto Pinochet, another triumph in American foreign policy. As that date is a significant one in the annals of imperialism, I suppose it's fitting that we should choose it to mark the end of our occupation of Afghanistan, assuming we actually go through with it this time. Let us not forget that Trump agreed to pull out by May of this year and that the Biden team backed away from that. So, we'll see. I, and I'm sure you as well, have heard many, many voices over the past few days warning of the dark consequences that may result from this decision, as qualified and attenuated as it may turn out to be. For instance, will contractors be removed? Will overflights and drone sorties continue? There is a cadre of politicians, mostly those who coalesced around John McCain back in the day, who suggest that our best way forward would be to stay in that country permanently. They point to Germany, Japan, and Korea as examples of what positive effects such an endless presence may have. It's no accident that the chief proponents of this strategy tend to be either veterans or people with strong military connections because they claim some standing on the issue. It's just that these are all really bad examples. While there's been a standoff of sorts in Korea for 70 years, we haven't been engaged in combat in Germany or Japan or really Korea for the whole time our military has been ensconced in those countries post-war. Afghanistan, on the other hand, has been an active war zone for 40 years and more. Just to be clear, I'm not saying we should wash our hands of Afghanistan altogether. God, no. We owe the Afghans big time. We owe them for stoking the Mujahideen rebellion in the 70s, years before the Soviet invasion, a policy that led to a grinding war of attrition through the 80s and into the 90s. We owe them for having funded and facilitated that long war, helping the Saudis bankroll the rise of the precursors of the Taliban and Al-Qaeda, which is a curse that the Afghans suffered far more than we have. We owe them for attacking their country in 2001, throwing them into another two decades of war, making common cause with their most rapacious warlords, and costing them another 150,000 lives, conservatively. We owe them for dropping a lot of bank on some of the most corrupt elements in the country, further entrenching oligarchic power and further distorting their society with corruption and neocolonialism. Suffice to say, it's time we left Afghanistan for good, and then maybe make an extra effort to help them overcome the problems that we play a key role in causing. Love you, Joe. Yeah, that's my... Uh... <laughs> That's my blog post for the week. Uh, Rife with typos. (laughs) I was in a bit of a hurry, I guess. Seems like. Anyway, tried to correct a few of them in there. Some of them were visual typos. You'd never notice, would you? 
Anyway, go check it out. Big-green.net, political rants. You'll find it. Um, yeah, the, the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Yes, we have heard this before. We've certainly heard this before. Um, we've heard the story many times. We're winding the Afghan war down. We're ending the Afghan war. We're withdrawing our troops. We're negotiating with the Taliban. We're negotiating with uh, whomever. Um, we're, we're working on ending this war. And it just goes on and on and on and on. Mostly for political reasons in the United States. So to give you know Biden some credit, at least he's making something like a commitment to end the war or end the, I won't say end the war, to end the U.S. presence. Well, let me, let me put it more finely. To end the presence of U.S. combat troops in Afghanistan by a time certain as opposed to a conditions-based withdrawal, which is a new element. Now, that doesn't mean that they won't still be blowing things up in Afghanistan. I fully believe that they will be. I fully believe that there will still be contractors there. I fully believe that there will be um, an American presence around Afghanistan. I think that there'll be drone flights. I think there'll be jets flying over. I think there'll be all kinds of stuff going on. And the CIA will be crawling all over it. No question. I mean, that was kind of the case before the 2001 invasion. But, uh, yeah, nonetheless, it sounds like kind of a withdrawal the same way that the Obama administration withdrew from Afghanistan. The same way the Obama administration withdrew from Iraq in 2000, um, 2011. And... Uh, which is to say uh, they didn't entirely withdraw. <laughs> Only enough to sort of, you know, take the blame later for um, ISIS. And that's another story. But again, it probably pays to look back at how we got there in the first place. And yes, the timing was after, right after the... Uh, September 11th attacks. Anyone hearing this podcast who is old enough to remember those days um, knows enough about it so that I don't need to describe the atmosphere at the time. I, I've in previous podcasts I've talked about that period a little bit, mostly the run up to that period. Um, I was involved in a peace action group locally. Um, it was a very small group of people. Um, headed by, um, well, it was mostly spearheaded by a uh, medical provider, me- medical professional um, by the name of Suniti, who um, was an inspiration and a mentor for years. Um, she headed the group, and uh, she unfortunately passed away a number of years ago, maybe three or four years ago. Um, and, in an untimely um, fashion, I should say, uh, was long before her time. Anyway, 
I've talked about how we had a speaker at one point suggest that we were going to invade Iraq, and this was in the opening days of the Bush administration before 9-11. This was in the first couple of months, three months, four months of the Bush administration, Bush two. This was in early 2001, and uh, we had Shah Dalal, who was, uh, had some local roots. Um, he was a uh, pretty well-connected uh, scholar and uh, diplomat um, and um, very um, intelligent and very well-informed fellow. Uh, he came to uh, talk to our group at one point and said that he felt like they were the Bush administration was going to invade Iraq. And I had given him some pushback. I, As I said, I've detailed this in previous episodes of this podcast, so you can go back and listen and see what I'm talking about. Um, and then, of course, 9-11 happened. There was a push to respond, and it was... It was basically a full um, full court press to respond in some way, in some military way, in some imperial way, to this outrage. And 9-11 was, you know, a, a horrific attack. There's no question. Traumatic. Everyone saw it. I mean, for those of you who weren't here... <laughs> <laughs> or weren't sentient at that time, <laughs> maybe we're one year old or two years old or three years old, um, our culture changed not insignificantly from that point forward. Um, and there's there's elements of our sort of pop culture that still, you know, bear the marks of those days. Um, I should say, the the news crawl at the in the bottom third of practically every news talk show you can see or news show that you can see on CNN or MSNBC or Fox or whatever that had its birth around the time of um, of nine eleven <laughs> was after nine eleven they all started running a crawl <laughs> and it was just you know it just never went away it's still with us became a thing. Uh, the only folks that used to do that before were like um, stock programs, you know, when they run the stock ticker, you know, in the bottom third or somewhere on the screen as as someone was talking. But it was, after that, it was just like a constant news crawl, regardless of what was being spoken about um, in the main part of your television screen. It was also this constant feed of the latest news because that was the way it was um, in those early days after 9-11 when they shut down air travel. And it was very hard to be on the dissenting side of that. Um, you were immediately called a traitor. If you didn't support the American effort to go and attack um, Afghanistan because they, you know, they assumed Bin Laden was in Afghanistan, and they they had more or less nailed him as being behind the attacks. Um, you were a traitor, and so sure, it, there was this feeling of inevitability that they were going to invade Afghanistan, 
And it seemed like there, there was just no stopping it. I mean, people tried. You know, there was an anti-war movement, but it wasn't it wasn't very large. It wasn't it, it was substantial, but it wasn't large enough to even make um some kind of a dent. And uh I know I've I've also talked about, you know, some of the protest um activity around my home area here in, in upstate New York. Um in the past and it took really until the invasion of Iraq before people started standing up. It took the course of that year after the Afghan invasion and the occupation of Afghanistan, the overthrow of the Taliban, and the sort of chasing bin Laden into Pakistan, all that, and then the roll-up to the Iraq War. And, of course, people like like me and like the people in our local peace group were sort of armed with the knowledge that the Bush administration had been contemplating invading Iraq since the beginning of the Bush administration, long before 9-11. And, uh, you know, we, we were dead set against it. And they were obviously cooking the books on this. Um, again, I've talked about this in the, in the lead up. We had a fairly large demonstration on the eve of the invasion of Iraq in 2003, uh, large for area standards. Um, so it was about maybe 200, 250 people. Since then, we've had larger protests, um, much larger, surprisingly, um, including last year during the uh, Black Lives Matter uprising, uh, uprisings, um, and even you know in opposition to uh, to to Trump on on some occasions, um, there have been at least that many, if not more. There's been well over a thousand people um, at some of these demonstrations. So that's you know by the standard of its day, it was the largest demonstration I could remember in this area. And uh, there were large demonstrations like that all over the country and all over the world on the eve of the Iraq War, um, but the Afghan War not so much. And people kind of forgot about Afghanistan, for the most part, in the lead up to the Iraq War, because that's just sort of turned everyone's attention away from it. And they pulled resources out of it. And then they went back to it. You know, I mean, it was it was a back and forth, right? Ultimately, when uh, Obama was elected president and he decided to increase the troop presence in other words, quote, surge, unquote, troops to Afghanistan, it was obvious that we were going to be there for another 10 years. It just, it seemed to me, and it seemed to plenty of people at the time, that it was just like, this is, politically, this is just never going to end. It's never going to end. And so we're, we're coming to a place where maybe that's not true, you know, Maybe we actually will stop this war finally, um, or at least stop our role in this war as a direct combatant um, rather than just kind of uh, sniping from the edges. Now, the, the flip side of that is that I feel completely confident that the reason why they 
are so determined to bring this thing to an end is because they want to get a hand free so that they can start building up forces in the East because they want to start confronting China and they want to start um, beefing up their presence in the Asia Pacific region. That's where they've wanted to go for some time. And that is where they're going to go after this. And we have to be on the lookout for this. Because you'll see when they stop deploying troops to Afghanistan after September 11th of this year, um, they are not going to cut the military budget. They are going to take that money and they're going to use it to deploy forces in the Asia-Pacific region around the rim of Asia, you know, confronting China. And we need to be on this. This is unacceptable. It's unacceptable. No more forever wars. This is some crazy shit. And, uh, yeah, so uh, I, I will, I'll credit them lightly for having an unconditional endpoint for combat operations in Afghanistan for tr- for standard, you know, whatever they would call it, you know, combat operations in Afghanistan coming to an end by September 11th of this year. We'll see. I'll believe it when I see it, but it sounds like because they're not basing it on conditions that they might very well do that thing. We'll see. Anyway, uh, that's most of what I have to say, but I really think that we do owe the Afghans a lot, but what we don't owe them is a, a constant, you know, presence of our military and propping up the most corrupt elements of their society. I think what we owe them is somehow to help them patch their country together and in a way that will uh, raise the living standards of the people living in that country as opposed to just doing what we do in every war zone and every failed state that we've helped create. The failed state that is Iraq, the failed state that is Libya, both of which we contributed to, the failed state that is Syria, which we contributed to as well. Every time this happens, every time we crack open a national government in one of these countries that we target, what happens is global powers rush in there and they they back a faction. Everybody's got a horse in the fight. You know, they're selling them arms and they're, you know, they're jockeying for position and it, it turns into a big fat free for all. And that's what's happened in all of these countries. Sometimes when you break things, you can't fix them. And that's something that I think Americans have a really hard time dealing with. When we broke Iraq, it's probably not fixable. The way we broke it, it's probably not fixable. I don't want to write them off, but they've got a huge problem. They've got huge problems largely due to the degree to which we've fucked with them over the years. Afghanistan, too. 
I mean, I've said this before. I'll say it again. Does anyone think that the the government that Afghanistan had in the late 70s, before we started fucking with it, during the Carter administration, something that Zbigniew Brzezinski bragged about in his memoirs, that we started supporting extremist um, religious factions um, that were attacking the government that was supported by the Soviet Union um, back then because we thought they would be the biggest pain in the ass for them rather than like supporting secular opposition or no opposition at all, right? Does anyone think that if that government had survived, that government that at least had nominally, you know, a a non-religious orientation to it um, that was sort of culturally at least a little bit less restrictive than, than say, the Taliban? <laughs> Wasn't, you know, I mean, women could go to school, that sort of thing. Does anyone think that Afghanistan would have been worse off if that government had survived? If we hadn't bankrolled the opposition? If we hadn't, like, shoveled money into that? I mean, honestly, Afghanistan was being used as a tool to hit the Soviets over the head with. That was the whole purpose of it. It didn't matter what happened to Afghanistan. They didn't care what happened to Afghanistan. They just wanted to give the, the Soviets a pain in the ass. It's kind of the same thing they do, did in Vietnam. It didn't have that much to do with the Vietnamese. It had more to do with Japan and China and Southeast Asia more generally. Indonesia. You know, we wanted to keep Indonesia safe from the contagion of a rebellious population, right? The bad example of a uh, independent nation. That's what we wanted to keep them safe from. And in Afghanistan, it was just, you know, let's, let's create a really big problem for the Soviets, something similar to Vietnam that will just sort of drag them down over the course of, you know, years. Who cares what happens to the Afghans? They didn't care. <laughs> they were just using them as a tool. And so the result of that has been 40 years of war and... Are they better off? Of course not. But that wasn't the intention, was it? So, yeah, we owe them big time. We should do something about it. Okay, I've run on a bit. Uh, I should stop. I just wanted to name check this, uh, this one thing that came up this week about Adam Toledo in Chicago. I saw the video. You've seen the video. I think everybody's seen the video. They lied about it, of course, beforehand. Um, a 13-year-old boy. Boy, not a man. A boy. His hands up, and they shot him. That cop shot him. He shot a kid with his hands up. Open and shut. That fucker should be fired, and he should be prosecuted. It's to me, it's just appalling. I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about how upsetting it was over, you know, Tamir Rice. I thought at the time, oh God, something is, if something doesn't happen now, it'll never happen. 
And this is just Tamir Rice all over again. I mean, sure, they say, you know, he had a gun and he threw it over the fence. Okay, fine. He had a gun, he threw it over the fence. Did he have a gun in his hand when he was shot? No, he didn't have a gun in his hand. He had open hands, he was holding him up, he was facing the cop, and the cop shot him in the chest and killed him. That's just murder. So that's all I'm going to say about it. But, you know, I, I just wanted to vent a little bit. And I know there's people out there who want to vent as well. I feel you. I hear you. I'm sorry. It's just, it's just awful. <laughs> it's just appalling that this keeps happening. And it'll keep happening until we do something more fundamental than just sort of tinker. Right. Anyway, I won't get into that this week. That's all I've got. I want to hear what you have to say. Oh, somebody's sending me a message. Oh, dear. I want to hear what you have to say. You could leave a one-minute voice message when you go to anchor.fm, anchor.fm slash strange sound. Just go there, leave a one-minute voice message. Um, if it isn't something too obscene or too insulting, I will play it on the podcast, and I will respond to it. Uh, we can start there and have a conversation if you like. I'm completely open to doing a Google Meet or a Zoom session or something like that and recording it and putting it on the air so much. As, as long as you don't make a monkey out of me, I'm more than happy to do that. Um, and it's pretty easy to make a monkey out of me, frankly. Um, anyway, also you can go to big-green.net, um, click on the contact link and there's other ways to get in touch with me. Uh, strange sound pod is the Twitter handle for the show. You can contact me that way. You can personal message me. You can tweet at me. You can excoriate me. You can like my uh, posts. Like, for God's sake, share the show, like it, um, re, you know, retweet it. Um, I, you know, just do something. <laughs> Whatever, uh, excoriate it. I don't know. Rip it apart. React. <sighs> Dear me. Anyway, I'm shouting into a void. Anyway, thank you for listening once again. Hope all is well out there, and we will see you next time. Take care. <laughs>